All right, let's go to God's Word together. Please turn to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14. And uh, we're just going to look at the first three verses. John, chapter 14, continuing our study. And this is God's Word. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I've told you this a number of years ago, I think. Uh, I told some room full of people, but um, Tammy and I were drive home, driving home from something downtown one, late one night, and I don't know if it was Poplar or Union, I can't remember the exact place, um, but there's some kind of bridge overpass thing, and there was a guy who had pulled over in this car, and uh, it was a tall, older African-American guy, and uh, he was, I could tell he was thinking about jumping off the bridge. Uh, so he's standing there, and he's kind of lifting up his leg, and he's kind of considering, and he's, he's kind of looking over, and you could just tell he wanted to jump off the bridge. And uh, so we turned around, and I came back, and we turned around it again, and I pulled up on the bridge. And, uh, you know, it's late at night. It's like 10 o'clock, and Tammy's in the car, and I go and I approach him. And, um, and you know, she's back there. I'm like, well, I didn't know if it was a con or, or what, if somebody was going to jump out and try to kick. Of course, I did have a loaded thirty eight revolver in my pocket, but... Uh, that's how I do the Lord's work. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I was ready, ready for anything, you know. But, um, but I, I approached him, and he was crying and trembling and sad. And uh, I said, I said what, are you, what are you up to here? I said, uh, I said you're not thinking about uh, jumping over that, are you? And uh, he kept saying over and over again, I'll, I've, 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 this comes to my mind, I mean, probably a couple times a month, I'll I'm, I'm never forget it, he was going, troubled times, troubled times. He kept saying that, troubled times, troubled times. And uh, the way the story ended is I, I, I looked over the edge and, it, you know, it was like three, maybe three stories, maybe 32 feet. And I, I, looked, I looked over, I go, I go, I don't think that's going to do the job. And he looked over and he looked at me and was like, yeah. I said, I, you're just going to get hurt real bad. And, and anyway... I talked to him for a minute, and he does have a pastor, and he does have a church, and I told him I wasn't going to leave off the bridge until I saw him get in that car and drive away, and I didn't know what, how else to, to minister to him. But anyway, all, all to say, troubled times, troubled times. You could just see it in this man in this point of, uh, you know, conflict in his life. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about that when I was working on this. I, I went to... Um, uh, two funerals yesterday, and uh, both my parents are in a nursing home, and uh, I fell on my shoulder, and I had to have a surgery, and uh, my family up north is devastatingly fractured. Troubled times, troubled times. And how about you? What do you have in your life? Um, are your children perfect? Well, they are. They're, they're just perfect. Perfect little ones, perfect adolescents, perfect young adults, 
Perfect 37-year-olds, perfect, right? Troubled times. Troubled times. How about your body? Is it functioning perfectly? Um, are all your relationships harmonious? Is your financial future unshakable? It is? Well, Bev, okay, that's not the result I was th- going for, but I'm <laughs> glad you're tracking. Uh, <laughs> troubled times, my friends, troubled times. And I've got good news for you. And here's the good news, and this is the point of the passage uh, here today. Uh, the most important thing about your future can be known. Most important thing about your future can be known. Um, it, it doesn't it stand to reason that if the most important thing about your future can be known, which is where you will spend eternity, how will it will all finish uh, in Jesus Christ? It can be known, can be known surely. Uh, if, if that's true, then doesn't it make it easier not to worry about the immediate stuff? If the most important thing about your future is absolutely secure, um, if you, if you know you're going to run across the finish line, doesn't it make the, the running a little less strenuous? It makes you feel a little lighter, your steps, when you're running this marathon? All right, that's the main idea. Let's go to our first point, trouble with belief. Uh, verse 1 says this, Jesus is talking. He's in the upper room. It's the last night of his life, and he tells the disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, there are only two reasons that Jesus would have said such a thing. Uh, either their hearts were troubled and he's picking up on it, or they will be troubled and he's preparing them. In fact, both of those things are true. Uh, they were troubled and they will soon be quite troubled. And uh, straight away, ladies and gentlemen, there's a, an encouragement for the, the, the weary soul. You know, in uh, chapter 12, ow, verse 27, um, yeah, Jesus himself says, now is my soul troubled. Uh, He's considering the hour that has come for him to do what he has to accomplish, and his own soul is troubled. And the point is, he knows what that feeling is. Um, In chapter 13, uh, right after um, explaining that there's going to be a betrayer, it says in chapter 13, verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And last week we saw that Peter... um, is, uh, you know, he jumps up and says, Lord, I, I, why can't I follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. And um, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. That surely was troubling to Jesus' spirit uh, for, for his own uh, sake, for his, the way he would feel himself, but also the grief over Peter and his own denial. And um, that, that, that's, that's, that's troubling in spirit. And of course, most pressing would be later that night, Jesus is going to be arrested um, and then he will be crucified shortly thereafter, and that has certainly uh, must have been troubling to Jesus' spirit. So th- th- we've got a Savior that relates to us, a Savior that can understand us. Uh, when you have a troubled spirit, Jesus knows what that is. Now, one thing I didn't uh, specifically point out last week was the exchange uh, that, between Peter and Jesus. You know, when, when G- Peter says, I'll lay down my life for you, and Jesus is like, really, you're going to lay down your life for me? That's how it's going to work. You're going to lay down your life for me. You got to, I'm going to lay down my life for you, and uh, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows in the morning. Um, and uh, what I didn't point out last week is that that was said, obviously, in the hearing of the other disciples. It's not like they had a little side chat. Um, rather, um, you know, in chapter 13, verse 36, Peter goes, uh, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow afterward. 
Um, and uh, look at verse uh, 33 of, of uh, chapter 13. Little children, yet a little while with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now uh, I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus is dialoguing with the disciples. Peter's responding to that dialogue. Everybody's hearing what's happening, and everyone hears Jesus say, oh, really, Peter? Well, truly, truly, I say to you, the cock will not crow till you've denied me three times. They all heard that. That must have been very troubling. And as I pointed out last week, everything Jesus said was right. Everything Jesus said was, uh, was true. Um, everything Jesus said was, uh, in a sense, by the last prophet prophetically uttered. Uh, and so it was going to come to pass. They'd seen it come to pass. And Jesus says this thing about Peter. It's going to come to pass. I bet they were all troubled. Um, and by the way, don't confuse Jesus' troubled spirit with their troubled spirit. Their troubled spirit is... Um, you know, Jesus' fear was not a fear of what might happen. He, uh, he knew it was going to happen. He knew what he was going to accomplish. He was troubled um, uh, uh, for, for good reason. He was talking about his departure um, and then says this thing about Peter's denial. Those are pretty good reasons for Jesus to be troubled. Um, what the disciples are experiencing is, is uh, n- not understanding and not believing and anxiety of heart. And so, and, and they're going to be more and more confused, and they're going to be less and less understanding of what the future is. And so Jesus prepares them, and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. But what's the answer? How are they and how are we supposed to accomplish a life without worry? Because aren't your hearts troubled sometimes? I bet there are people in here whose hearts are quite troubled right now. I bet there are people in here who drifted off to sleep last night with a troubled heart, and you woke up with a troubled heart. And uh, if you've ever experienced uh, uh, tragic loss, um, you know what that is, don't you? Where you wake up in the morning and you go, oh, it wasn't a dream. That's, this is my reality. And you go to bed at night thinking about it, and you drift off in worry, and you wake up in worry. Do you know what that's like, being troubled in spirit in that way? How do we uh, accomplish a life without worry? Well, look at verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled... Believe in God, believe also in me. So when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, it's not just some abstract thing. It's not just some lame, empty slap on the back that just says, cheer up, you know, just keep a stiff upper lip and all that. There's there's a basis for what he's saying. Um, the, The Bible's definition of believing in God, when Jesus says, believe in God, it's not like what the world says. You know, when when the world says, oh, I believe in God, what they mean is, I believe in a God. I believe in the concept of some higher power that made the universe, maybe, and uh, that, that believing in God doesn't mean believing in a God. That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, what we believe is that we have a personal God, a knowable God, a loving God, a helping God, an unchanging God, and a God who's made promises. Here's a promise. Uh, God works out all things together for the good of those who love him, those who are the called according to his purpose. That's a promise. And so when Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me, he's basically saying, believe what God has said. Everything that God has accomplished in redemption, in the gospel, is is because God is a God of promise. I mean, he summons Abraham from the land of Ur of, of the Chaldees, and he makes this promise to him. And he renews that promise. I mean, there's, there's a promise in Genesis, and there's a promise with Moses, and there's a promise with Noah, and there's a promise with David. 
The promise comes to fruition. He's a God of promise, and this is a promise God made in His Word, that He's working out all things together for good. So when, when Jesus says, believe in God, He's basically saying, you either believe what God said in that moment, or you don't believe what God said. And the difference is flopping into rest or worry. That's the difference. You either believe that moment by moment or event by event or dark night by dark night. Believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, to, to speak frankly um, and, and, and to dare a paraphrase for application, when Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me, he's basically saying, uh, don't live your life, don't act like there's no God at all. I mean, that, that's our problem is that we, we live like practical atheists. Oh, we, we believe in God. We even believe in this God as, as Savior. We believe in this Christ. We believe very specific things about Jesus as Savior. Um, and, and yet, don't we act like atheists when we worry? We act like God's not even there. We act like God hasn't made promises. We act like God has somehow uh, forgotten us or doesn't have all the information uh, or, or needs to step up his game a little bit and, and give us a little bit more ready help. But God is not in a hurry. God is not wanting. He doesn't need anything. He's not wasting. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, let any experience um, not move for your benefit, Christian. So I'm not saying that you don't um, believe in God. I, I, you say, oh, well, I believe in God with all my heart, but I just struggle with worry. I'm not saying that you don't believe in God. In God. I'm saying you don't believe Him. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the challenge is that we believe Him, that we believe what He's telling us. Now, application for your life, let not your hearts be troubled. Let me ask you a question. Does that sound like a hint, like a helpful hint? Hey, let not your hearts be troubled. It's a helpful, a helpful life hack. Is it a life hack? Or does that ring a little bit more like a command? Now, it's a gentle command. I mean, it's not like He's going, hey, you dummies. You know, I hate when people do that with Jesus. They turn him into kind of this scowling, scoldy guy. He's not a scowling, scoldy guy. Um, he's, he's trying to minister gently to them. Remember, he calls them little children um, uh, earlier when he's, when he's dialoguing after, after Judas leaves. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's tenderly telling them, he's tenderly commanding them, let not your hearts be troubled. You know, the Bible does that, doesn't it? We're commanded to, to such things. Like in Psalm 46, verse 10, be still. Does that sound like a life hack? Or is God telling us to do something? Be still. How about this? Uh, Psalm 37, 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Is that a life tip? Or is that God saying, I want you to do this because of who I am? I want you to believe in me and believe also in Jesus. That's what the Bible is teaching us. Those things tell us that we don't have to worry. We can worry. We often do worry. But the good news is we don't have to worry. We don't, we don't have to. The most important thing about your future can be known. You don't have to worry in the present. Um, we're instructed not to worry. How about this in uh, Matthew 6.25? Do not be anxious about your life. Matthew 6.34. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Now, note that neither 
the Bible nor I am talking about a psychological disorder. I'm not talking about anxiety disorder. I'm not talking about a disorder. I'm not talking about a, uh, a condition whereby medicines can help you. I'm not talking about that. Medicines can help you. They're a, they're a gift. They're, they're a part of, they're a part of uh, medicine. They're a part of uh, uh, God's blessing, general blessing, His general providence uh, on creation, that we have these things that, that can help us. I'm not, saying, I'm not talking about an anxiety disorder. Um, I'm talking about the things which are common to man. That's what the Bible's talking about. We all worry. We all face anxiety. We all wring our hands over things and, 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 and feel troubled in our spirits. But the command is, do not worry. The command is, rest. The command is, be still. Wait patiently. Do not be anxious. In fact, Philippians 4, 6 says this, do not be anxious about anything. It's not like, well, you know, I can handle the, the, the big things, the big things. It says, do not be anxious about anything. And you go, well, I want to do that. I want to do that. My, that's what I, my soul aches to do that. Of course I want to do that. I don't want to worry. I don't want to be anxious. I want to do those things. But the question is, how? How do I do those things? Well, what all that means is very simple. Believe the stuff Jesus said. Believe the stuff that God says to you. And, of course, the how is two things. First of all, find out the stuff that God said. Where does God say stuff? Here's where God says stuff. Find out the stuff that God said. You know, if, you know I don't know if you use the computer a lot as you look at God's Word. I do all the time. Um, I was talking to Chris Luke about it. I go, dude, you ever use Bible Hub? He's like, oh, all the time. I use Bible Hub every time I write a sermon, every single time. I'm looking up stuff all the time. If I want to look up things about encouragement, look it up. There's like a zillion things, 25 verses on encouragement, 25 verses on worrying, 38 verses on God's person, uh, about His faithfulness. You can look up all kinds of stuff. There are all kinds of helps out there. Find out what God has said. That's the first thing you got to do. Find out what He said, something to cling to. Look up promises made by God to you. Just get up and look it up, promises that He's made to you. And then secondly, pray for the grace to believe it. Um, I'll, I'll talk about that more in just one second, but um, go ahead and flip, if you would, to uh, Philippians. So flip, go to the right. Um, um, you'll pass to the Corinthians, you'll find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6. Uh, let's start in verse 4, Philippians 4, verse 4. <clears throat> Paul writing here, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And here's what I want to show you. The Lord is at hand. Now, of course, that applies to the thing that I just read. Uh, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's right there. So that does apply to to that. Um, But it also applies to what's happening. And if you're teaching through this passage, you'll want to firmly link it to what's about to be said. The Lord is at hand, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. So you understand that the do not be anxious about anything, that command, isn't just empty. It's not just, hey, cheer up. It says, do not be anxious. What's the scope of that? 
about anything. But why? The Lord is at hand. That's why. There's a reason. The Lord is at hand. You don't have to be anxious about everything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And guess what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God doesn't leave you without help. You know, I also read uh, Psalm 46 to you. Be still. Be still. The Bible says that with authority. We're told, not suggested, we're told to be still. But it's not isolated. I, I held that off from you so I can show you now. Be still and know that I am God. It's not an empty command. Be still. Why? How? Why can I do that? Because I'm God. That's why. The most important thing about your future can be known. That makes an immediate impact on your presence. present. I mean, if God has settled His love upon you, be still. Why? Because He's God. That's why. Know that He's God. How about this? Psalm 37, verse 7. Rest and wait patiently, commands. But listen, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently on Him. You see that, that it's not empty. There are reasons for all that. And, the, and, the, and the point is, you either believe what He's saying or you don't believe what He's saying. Oh, yes, I do believe. Not in the moment. You either believe what He's saying to you or you don't believe what He's saying to you. And that's the difference between worrying and not worrying, a troubled spirit or no. One commentator wrote this. He says, uh, John, the gospel writer, points out um, to the disciples, and by the way, to us too, he points out that the power of a living faith will cure troubled spirits. They must trust Him. And that's what Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, here's the how. I have personally, I can tell, I can tell you this, I have personally prayed this many, 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 dozens if not hundreds of times um, when worrying when troubled in spirit, when just gripped on the pillow at night with, with, with angst in the heart, you, you pray. You say, Lord, I'm having trouble trusting you. I'm having trouble. I want to trust you. I can't seem to trust you. So I'm asking you for the grace right now in this moment to trust you. Will you give me that? Let me tell you, friend. If you will earnestly pray that, God will answer that. He will answer that prayer. He, he, will, he, he, is, he is kind. I can tell you that from experience. He is kind to the Spirit. God, I'm having trouble trusting you. I want to. I love you. I believe your word. I believe your word and your words. I think the Bible is true. I believe it. But I, I'm having trouble trusting you. So will you give me the grace to trust you? And then... You come to the scalpel's edge where it really is a matter of, of saying, okay, God, I'm going to take this thing in my heart right now and I'm going to step over that edge and I'm just going to give it to you. Off of me, onto you. Like if you moved into the chair next to you. One thing to the next thing. God, I'm having trouble trusting you. Please give me the grace to do so. 
right now in this moment. I'm going to take this thing in my heart right now, and I'm going to step over that razor's edge and hand it over to you. Release me. Let me be free tonight on the pillow. And in the morning, you pray it again. And at 10.30 in the morning, you pray it again. And at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you pray it again. You don't have to say, oh, relieve me of worry forever, right now in this moment. It's not that big of a transaction. Help me now, Lord. Take this thing in my heart now and transfer it from here to here into your great care and free me. Pray that. I think you will be surprised and satisfied. Next point. Preparations have been made. Uh, Verse 2, Jesus goes on to say, in my Father's house are many rooms. Now, one of the first things we have to uh, uh, handle on this is that everybody's heard, in my Father's house are many mansions. And uh, boy, everybody's, are you prepared, my brother, for that great day? You know, I mean, many a barbershop quartet-sounding song has been written about mansions in the sky. And when people think of, they they think of mansions, in fact, um, the King James Version has it and uh, several others, but most versions have rooms, and it really is the idea of rooms. Uh, in my father's house are many rooms. But when we hear mansions, we think of like, you know, Hollywood star mansions or the Beverly Hillbillies or Hugh Hefner's house or something. We think of a mansion. And, uh, and, and I think in, in, as English-speaking Americans, you can't say mansion in heaven without thinking of, you know, like carpeting and climate control. You're not just going to have a mansion with no screens on the windows, you know? Uh, so it, it is deposited this idea in our head of actual mansions, uh, physical mansions. And uh, I, think, I think that isn't the... It's not that there are rooms with drywall. Uh, the idea is uh, grander than that. It is, it is that there is room for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. There's room for you. And if you would flip ahead to, the, uh, to uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation, by the way, don't say Revelations, it's not Revelations, it's Revelation, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 7, this is so, uh, just wonderful, uh, just, read, just look, look along with me as we read, uh, Revelation 7, uh, verse 9, and by the way, John the gospel writer is the same guy who wrote the, the epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, same dude. And John the Revelator is the guy who wrote the book of Revelation. The same guy who wrote our gospel that we're looking at today is the same guy uh, God used to write Revelation. So same writer, chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Um, that, that's quite a wonderful thing. 
uh, to read. But my point is, is this, the, the, the people from every nation, all tribes, peoples, languages, it's a great multitude that no one could number. That's what John is saying uh, when, when he's recording what Jesus is saying. In my Father's house are many rooms. He's not saying that it's going to be a, a fancy mansion uh, with, uh, you know, gold wallpaper and, uh, a, you know, piano in the foyer. He's not saying that. He's saying it's a grand place. It's a big place with all nations, countless people uh, filling it up. And, and the way that applies to you is there's room for you. There's room for you. And you see the inclusivity of it all, all peoples, but you see the exclusivity uh, of it too. Will, all, will everybody who ever lived be there? No. But there will be a great multitude, not everyone, but a great multitude. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, there is an implied promise. If you are in the family of God, friend, you will be okay. The most important thing about your future can be known. Most important thing, the, the, the thing you needed more than any other thing, that great need more than any other need, is that you needed righteousness that would satisfy the courtroom of heaven. In Jesus Christ, you've got it. You needed forgiveness of your guilt and shame and sin, your transgression against God in His holy wrath. You've got it in Christ. And, and what you get is an eternally secure future, if it's eternally secure. And if God's love is set upon you, and you can't be snatched from His hand, don't you think it changes the way you move about this life? Um, here are a couple of ways to know uh, if you're among the family of God and you'll be okay. This is just a couple of tips before we get to our uh, application. If you are drawn to the church, that's a sign of health, my friend. If you're resistant to the church, ah, organized religion, church, I got burned by the church, that's not a sign of health. Uh, if you're drawn to the church, if you're drawn to fellowship, if you're drawn to the family of God, if you're drawn to gathered worship, if you're drawn to look at God's word with other people and to pray with other people, if you're drawn to those things, if you think this is important, which I think you probably do, because look at you, you're all facing the same direction and you want to hear about this, okay? It's a good sign. If you're drawn to it, that's a sign of health. Uh, here's another one. If you view the church as an us and not a them, that is a sign of health. Anytime the church becomes a them, they and they want to do this. Anytime the church becomes a they, your heart is not in a healthy place. It's us. It's we. Christ is the head of the church. God shows His glory through the church. He even shows His attributes to the heavenly realms, the rulers and authorities and heavenly powers and principalities through the church. It is Christ's church. It's not a man-made invention. And here's another thing. You long for heaven. Do you long for heaven? Do you long for things to be set right? Let me tell you, the last two songs this morning, you're not in there, but I'm pointing at you, but you are. The last two songs this morning are about heaven. I mean, one is the passage of this life to the next life, and the last song is about being at the gates of heaven and entering in, uh, and, and just what a, what a longing we have for that. Well, let me apply it to your life. When I was um, in fourth grade, this, uh, you know, I think I've told you my, our, my 
story many a time, but um, my mom was an atheist. My dad was a non-practicing Catholic. In third grade, I heard somebody say the name God, the word God. I never heard the word God before. And I went to my mother who was cooking in the kitchen, and I said, Mom, what's, uh, what's God? And she goes, oh, it's just something somebody made up. I said, oh, okay. And shortly thereafter, a pastor and his wife moved in two doors down, and I started playing with their son. We were just a year apart. We became good friends. And then my, the brother and sister started playing with their kids, and they invited us to church. And anyway, our whole family was one to Christ because of this pastor and his family that moved two doors down, uh, and they still live in the same house, the, the pastor and his wife. It's, it's amazing. But... In fourth grade, they were from Canada. In fourth grade, can you imagine? There were, there were no video games. There, were, there, was no, there, was no, there were no devices to, to hypnotize your children with. And uh, it was Mr. and Mrs. Bauman, two of their kids, or three of their kids? I think it was three kids and me, four kids in the backseat of a Monte Carlo driving to Ontario, Canada from Chicago. Why would you bring some strange child into that? thing and, and keep them all week, but they did. And I really do believe that that was a, a critical part of my conversion, is that I drove to Canada and back with the Baumans, right? But my whole point about that is this. I get to Ontario, Canada, and I'd never been away from my family before, and uh, I was homesick. Does anybody remember being homesick? Who, who remembers being homesick? Uh, it's quite a... I mean, when you're in the car for 16 hours... You, you go, wait a minute, that's a, a long time back to mommy and daddy in my comfortable room. Uh, homesick is a great term for it because, I mean, you are sick. It's not just, ooh, I'm feeling a little anxious. Or, you're sick. You're so twisted up inside. And, I mean, they made a long-distance call in, you know, 1970 uh, from Ontario to Chicago. Nobody would do that. A long-distance call, are you kidding me? You know how expensive that is? Anyway, I called home, and it, 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 it cured me and all that. But all I'm saying to you is homesickness is this, this um, aching that is so strong that it pulls on your insides. Uh, do you feel that way about heaven? <laughs> do you long, do you groan uh, for that time when your fight with death and sin is over? Do you long for that? Do you know that this is a pilgrimage, that this is a temporary journey, a temporary place, that these are temporal things, that, that, the, that, the, that the reality is, is, is your home in heaven with God's people and in God's presence forever? Do you groan for that? That is a sign of health. All right, last, last point, we got to hurry. Um, the Savior will certainly return for you. That's what Jesus says in verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Doesn't it stand to reason that if Jesus is going to go prepare a place for you, that he's going to, you know, come get you? Uh, What the disciples were faced with here was the reality of living without a bodily Jesus. Jesus is going to leave them. And uh, he's not going to be physically in their presence anymore. And at Pentecost, the Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit comes, the Comforter comes, and uh, does that remind you of anybody you know? Oh, you. We don't have the bodily, physical presence of Jesus right now, but we do have the presence of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. That's precisely what we have. You know, it was hard 2,000 years ago for these people, and it's hard now, but the Holy Spirit of God continues the work of the Savior through you, and the Savior, though now physically absent, 
will be united with us in physical proximity one day in heaven. That is a thing to look forward to. God has not saved you just to leave you to yourself. He has saved you because He is going to come and get you. All right, I close with this. Tammy's birthday. Um, wanted to go to a fancy place. And uh, anybody been to Restaurant Iris? Anyone been to Iris? Well, you know, you just don't go to Iris. I mean, if you want to eat it at adult time, if you want to eat at 5 o'clock, you, no problem getting in, no problem. But if you want to eat at a grown-up time of 7.30 or 8 o'clock, you know, where the meal is the evening, you know, where you're not in the car at 6.30 going, well, I guess we'll just go home and watch, uh, you know, American Idol. Uh, if you want, if it's, it's the whole event... Uh, and you want a 7.30, 8 o'clock thing, you've got you to gotta look at uh, open table, and two months beforehand, that's when you make your reservation. Okay, you don't make it two weeks beforehand. It's got to be two months beforehand to get the prime slot, and that's pretty much that way with any great restaurant. Uh, by the way, as an aside, we were a tiny bit disappointed in Iris last night. I don't think it was as good as it was. It was in fact, it was a little amateurish, just even in the design of the menu. Um, I was a little disappointed. In it. You know, if I go to a restaurant... I'm straying from my notes. This is not, this doesn't help your, none of this helps your life, but uh, it better be at least as good as I can do it, you know? Anyway, and it wasn't. So, all to say, here's what a commentator said um, about, uh, about this idea. Our mediator and savior has carried our names into heaven and made a reservation there for us. You got a reservation, friend. And it's solid as a rock, and it's a reservation in the very bestest of places for all eternity. The Savior has gone before you. He has gone to prepare a place for you. There are many rooms. There's room for you, and the Savior's gone. And if it weren't true, He wouldn't have told you. He has gone to prepare a place for you. There is a reservation for you. Um, I would suggest uh, that you make sure that your name is on the list. (laughs) Let us pray. Lord Christ, we thank you that uh, where you have gone, we shall go. What you have accomplished has made that possible, that uh, you have opened up the way to heaven's glory and to presence with uh, the glorious God. So we praise you, we thank you, and we we appreciate you dying for our sins. Thank you, Lord Christ. Uh, Might we live in a way that reflects our trust in you. We do trust you. We trust you for our salvation We trust you for all eternity. We trust that what you accomplished for us on the cross is sufficient forever. We need no other argument or plea. We trust you. But our prayer is that we could trust you now and then trust you again in the moment and trust you again in the moment. Give us the grace to do that, Lord, and to hand you the troubled spirit. For we pray it in your name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.